let's turn in our Bibles to um, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. We're going to finish the series this morning. Um, so turn to chapter 5, and we're going to start from verse 12. Um, and the writer has quite aptly um, headed this final instructions. Now this morning is going to be so practical. I'm good at practical. And, and I think we're quite good at doing some of this stuff already. So whatever I say this morning, don't think, oh, no, oh, no. I mean, if the Spirit convicts, let him do it. But otherwise, this is not a telling off. This is not a you're not doing it. This is Paul saying to a church of about that size some stuff, some final instructions. So if you want to listen to the whole series, they're up on the website. Um, so you can listen to everything that Neil and Richard have preached already. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about letters and the fact that Paul penned a number of different letters. But I was thinking actually about the letters that we receive. And some of them are good old handwritten ones. I get, still get handwritten cards and I love it because you can put it up. You can't put a flaming iPad up, can you? So it's just like, but the cards and letters are still lovely. And then there's those really boring ones where it says you owe £50 or £100 for gas and electricity and all the utility stuff that we get through the doors. And in a sense, this is quite an old-fashioned letter. But, but it's a letter that has spanned hundreds of years to help still help us. It's not a dead letter because it's still helping us to become the disciples that Jesus wants us to become. There are some personal letters, like I said, that are good to read. Let me tell you about this letter. After, some of you all know, my mum died last November, and it was a very sad time, as it always is when we, we lose a parent. And my sister-in-law rang me two days after my mum died and said she'd found a letter in her belongings. And the letter was addressed to her five children. And it was a beautiful letter because it was something that, that she wrote with us in mind, as Paul has written this with us in mind. And the letter had been written, my mum's letter had been written a few years ago, and she'd hid it. And because she never, ever talked to us about the letter. I thought even when she was really poorly at the end, she might say, Mary, there's a letter hidden, you know, in whatever drawer. But she didn't. It was quite long, including things about how she felt. There were some sorries. But more importantly, there were instructions given to us as her five children to love each other, to forgive each other, to be patient with one another. <laughs> she obviously knows her children very well because we were none of those things. <laughs> but, but it was lovely to be left something now that I've, I've got it on my iPad. I typed it in because Gemma's got a copy of it, my daughter. And when Chloe's old enough to understand what that letter says, then she will read that. Because it's not just for us. That letter is to be passed down amongst her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. From somebody, for some, for some of them, they'll never met her. I never met Paul. We've never met Paul, but it doesn't matter because he's left instructions for us on how to live together 
really, really well, as my mum's letter instructed us to live together really, really well. And I'm glad that we found it. So Paul's letter was, it's simple yet gritty. So, as Paul's finishing this letter to the Thessalonian church, I can, I can almost see him writing the first four and a half chapters, thinking, thinking about how he's going to help this church to bond and to reshape and to grow together. And yet when he gets to the end, these final instructions, it's like, oh, and I've got this, 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 and this I want to say to you. And he does it really, he's, he's banging like this. At it. As we read it, you'll see there's two words that will say, be patient, be joyful. And he's like, I've got to get this done, I've got to get it done. And it's really fast. And yet I actually think this is the most important part of this first letter for us as a church. So this morning, that's what I'm going to be speaking into for us as a church. Let's read the text together. Chapter 5, Thessalonians, first book, from verse 12 down to the end. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard amongst you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, living peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, this is where he starts to pray, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read. I love that. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And it's like he's written it to us today, isn't it? And Paul had this real pastoral heart about wanting his very new churches to become something very different in Thessalonia. They had a big deal in this church because the Jews were bullying them all the time. And, and, and Paul's writing this, they know you've got to stay together. You've got to love one another. You've got to be patient with one another. You've got to hold each other accountable, in a sense, for one another. Because everybody else is looking at you. Everybody else is looking at the church today. Watching us, people that have lived on this estate for years, and they watch us come to church. They watch what our attitudes are like. They watch us outside having a laugh as you're coming down the path. They watch us. And that's, in a sense, quite disrupting in my own heart because I'm being watched all the time in the way I live and the way I speak. And I fail. I absolutely fail at it. And I have to go back to the cross and go, do you know what, God, can we start all over again? For most people here, we can think of past or present people who've invested in us, whether growing up or today. There are people in our lives that actually, when we 
hear their hearts close enough. They sort of mentor us. They help to disciple us. And we have great respect for them. But I'd want to suggest that this is becoming a value that's being lost. But we hope that as your church leaders, that we're really approachable. I, did, I never wanted to preach this because you've got to talk about church leaders. You can't, you can't go through this passage and not talk about the people that lead the church. But we would want to hope and pray that the three of us at the moment are really approachable and shepherd well. We hope for that. Now, if you were here last week, um, a lovely couple left our church called Mark and May, just spiritual elders in a sense in the church. And she stood in and said, Neil does absolutely nothing. <laughs> Didn't she? He's a lazy idol, so-and-so, and he does nothing. And to prove it, he can't be bothered to come to church this morning. That's one of your church leaders. No, he's not. Do you know, he's at Stephen McNally's church. Um, those of you who remember, he was one of our pastors. And he's gone down there. And my friends here, Helen and Mark, are from that church. So they'll be watching you. (laughs) We live in a culture where there is an expectation that whoever we are, that we perform at the top end of our game all the time. And I've listened to people who are expected to live at the top end of their game in the workplace and yet have no encouragement and no value given to them to help them grow even more, to be better at what they do. And I want to say this morning, we need to be doing that in our church. We need to be giving each other value and encouragement. That's what Paul wanted us to do. Not for us all just to, you know, pour through the door on a Sunday morning, have a little chin wag with somebody you know, go into the back, have a brew and then go. There was something about identifying people out. So this morning, I overheard Nephi talking to Ian. And Nephi said, you're a really good worship leader, and we're glad you're here. I just overheard that. And that was really encouraging to hear that, that there are people actually doing that amongst us. I'd want to encourage you to do it more. On a Sunday morning, before the cock crows, normally it's Neil, and when Neil's away, it's me, and then Ian, and then Tom and Leslie, and various others, we're here to prepare this place for worship. We're here to prepare it for you, because we love you. And this morning, there are people, I would say it'd be really helpful if this worked, but it doesn't. So this morning, there is a very good person helping you see some of what I'm going to say. And there's somebody on the sound, and there were people leading worship. And before you all got here, all your coffee and tea was made. And if you're here at the end, before we go home, you'll hear the hoover. And you'll see every Bible being put back in the right place, the right way up. And you'll see every cushion that is lined beautifully by Jill. And we're preparing this place for the next church to come in and worship. I think that's really important. So I just want to ask you, look out for these people. If you can't join a rotor or make a brew or whatever, then just go to somebody who does and just say thank you. It's really simple, isn't it? Let's cultivate more of a, um, a generous spirit. That's what Paul was saying to this fragile church. Cultivate a generous spirit, a patient spirit. So look out and see what you see. Paul told the church at the time, the elders um, in that church um, were in a bit of trouble and they had fallen out with some of the church itself. And I find it quite interesting that Paul writes then 
And he doesn't pick out the leaders on their own and say, you numpties, you've got this all wrong. He actually speaks to the whole church because of the thing that he wrote in Romans, you belong to one another. You belong to one another. And he said, live in peace. And and do you know what? If you go back to Mark 9, verse 50, Jesus said this, salt is good. We know it. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt amongst you and be at peace with one another. So Paul's reflecting on what he's heard the Son of God say for us as a church. Stay salty. This is what he said, isn't it? Encourage the disheartened. There are those amongst us um, who've lost people. We've lost our parents or lost our husbands. And, and that's still a sad time for most of us. But I know that as a church that I have been well supported because I've been disheartened. I've been well supported by you in one way or another. Janet has been well supported by most of us because we love one another. And for those of you who are new to the church, I'd want to ask you to cultivate that straight away, to be that sort of person, to acknowledge what Paul has said and to encourage the disheartened, to help the weak, to be kind and forgiving. And that's quite... I think that's the sticky wicket for most of us. Be kind, not be kind, but be forgiving. I want to say, get the junk out of your hearts. Get it out. If you've got anything against anybody in the church, get it out. Don't hold it. Don't damage the other person, though, that you're going to go and talk to. Don't damage them as you do it. Just forgive them. We've got a rule of thumb here, haven't we? Keep short accounts with people. So do that. Keep short accounts. Don't talk. I feel like I'm teaching my granny to suck egg here. Don't, don't talk about each other in a negative way. Just pick something really nice and focus on that. So I would focus on Pat, who is very nice. And aren't you? Yes, of course you are. <laughs> I like a confident woman. And I would always focus on the good in her because there's more good in us than there is bad. But I want you to cultivate that love. And, you know, sometimes I come across people, and I've got to be honest, I want to poke their eyes out. And I just think, do you know know what you've just said to me? Do you understand, actually, that's gone really deep? I have to keep that really short account. Or I I tell Ian and I love you. Simple. And then let it go. Ish. It's a hard one. There's no one in this room who's never been weak or weakened through sickness or sin or the loss of something or someone precious. And there's a picture that I used to use when I was a prison chaplain. Actually, my friend Helen sent it me years ago. And it's of Jesus holding this man who is weakened by his own sin. And Jesus holds on desperately to him. And as the hands and feet and arms of Jesus, that's the picture I want you to take home with you. You hold somebody really well. And you love them whatever they've done, whatever their weakness is. You just love them. Okay, this one. God grant me patience today. Hurry up! And and Paul actually meant when he said this that 
the long road of patience. Not the, oh, it's only them. Not that sort of patience, but long road. You know, if you've got friends that you've walked a long road with, then at some point you're going to have to be patient with one another. Because as you get to know the skins that peel off and you get to the heart of who that individual is, they can really irritate you sometimes. And we have to have patience. In marriage, in marriage, we have to have patience. I heard a really big sigh then from somebody. <laughs> oh dear. You've only even been married a year, Richard. <laughs> yeah, cool. But Paul seems to throw down this massive challenge to us to be Christ-like, both within and outside the church. And not this business, of, and Jesus touched on this in the Sermon on the Mount. If somebody does something to you, off him the other cheek, let him smack or smack the other side. Not literally, I don't think he meant that at all. But don't bite back. Don't don't go that I can't explain it, sending you tit for tat. You've done this, so I'm gonna do that. Because people live like that, and I know people who live like that, and they ache inside to be something different. Christ calls us to be Christ like. Someone said a Christian congregation that tolerates the harboring of grudges or the intention to retaliate is a contradiction in terms. In the face of society, then and now, accepted retaliation is the norm, but we're told to pursue good. This is my favorite author, Henri Nguyen. Loving the church is our sacred duty. Without a true love for the church, we cannot live in it in joy and in peace. And without a true love for the church, we cannot call people to it. And you know what? We've got to keep calling people to it because that's, that's the commission that we've been sent out with to bring people. And I hope that those of you who bring people bring people because you know that this is a safe space to grow and to be challenged and to change. And it's gritty and it's hard work sometimes for some of us but a safe place. We are imperfect reflections of God's love and grace. So if you put a lot of us together in one room, as we have this morning, then the result can be a lot of imperfection and very little reflection of God. Because you know and I know what I carry deep in here. But this is what we're called to, to love, to be gracious, and to gather together with all our good, bad, and ugliness. And when we're obedient to this duty, God takes our strengths and our weaknesses and uses them for his good and for his beauty. Loving the church often seems close to impossible because we're not perfect. Still, we must keep reminding ourselves that all people in the church, whether powerful or powerless, conservative or progressive, tolerant or fanatic, belong to that long line of witnesses moving through this valley of tears, singing songs of praise and thanksgiving, listening to the voice of their Lord, and eating together from the bread that keeps multiplying as it's shared. When we remember that, we may be able to say, I love the church, and I'm glad that I belong to it. And our prayer is this morning that that, that would be a place that you're in. So Paul's ending this letter, isn't he? A bit of love, a bit of faith. We started...
the series with love, faith and hope. And that's how we're going to finish it. But Paul says, rejoice always. And straight away, it's like, that's impossible. To rejoice always. Because sometimes our lives are difficult. It says, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joy is something, I think, which is found under the laughing and resting under the pain. And it's, it's a deep knowing of what's in store for God's church and for his return. There is a, an ache that we carry underneath. We have to believe that God is at work amongst us and with the people that we're involved with on a daily basis. But it's important that this is seen as a community instruction because it's absolutely impossible for each believer to be on a high all the time and be in that place where you are so close to God, you know, no use for any earthly good at all. And it's impossible for us to do that because we're all fractured and we're all fragile. It doesn't take much for us to break. And of course we're instructed elsewhere to weep with those who weep. Fundamentally, the Christian community is to identify itself as a joyful community. And I think as people look at us over the years, we've had people come and go, and we stand them at the front, like we did with Mayor Mark last week, and say, what is the thing that you take away with you from this place, where you've grown up in God more, and you've been encouraged and loved? And they'll just say, we're a joyful people. And I think we are joyful people. And I'm glad of that, because that's what other people are watching outside. Paul had a deep belief because of God's faithfulness that he heard the cry of every heart every time they turned their hearts to him. And whatever the outcome, he knew he still had to give thanks. Pray continually. Don't need to unpack that. For the Thessalonian church, though, we've got to remember that they have come into a place where this small group of believers who have come from a very strict regime within uh, the temple each week praying they've come to something a bit more relaxed. And they've actually come to a place where they're challenged. And I know that years ago when I, I, I left a, a, a church growing up, I grew up in, and I came to um, a slightly more relaxed church, I felt quite uneasy for a long time because it didn't have structure that I was used to. And there's lots of you that will will relate to that if you've come from a, a Catholic church or a high Anglican church because it's, it makes you feel a bit wobbly. But Paul wanted to say to these people, look guys, this is a new way of living. You have been sanctified by God. You have been forgiven because of the cross. Stick together and help those people that are wobbling. Hold them up and let them with you, limp back to Jesus. Sometimes we need them arms, don't we? And then this is my final point. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Make your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Um, actually, Maggie told me a story uh, the other day when she was in Turkey. And they went on this day out and they got in these, these jeeps I'm going to tell you a story. Is that all right, Mags? Yeah. yeah. And um, got in the, they got in the Jeep, and they hadn't bought any other clothes with them. And somebody said, have you bought an extra set of clothes? And they were like, no, no. Not really expecting what they got. And they, there was lots of bottles of water in the Jeep. 
And I said, I think it's such a cool thing to do. They were driving through the village and the kids come out with bottles of water and they absolutely saturate them. And the adults then, in the Jeep, have to give it all back. What? How? I love that. But they got drenched. And this drenching, you know, Paul's like, through and through. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May he fill you to overflowing. May he make you so, so in love with him that you realize that you're saturated by him. Totally and utterly saturated by him. And the Spirit, the Spirit comes and does that. It comes and, he, and you go, yes, yes. And he fills you. And he saturates your whole mind and your heart and your soul. When we say yes, he will drench you if you say yes. Don't be cautious. Paul talks about prophecy at the end, doesn't he? And don't be cautious about that. If the Holy Spirit wants to say something or do something, let him do it. Don't be frightened of somebody who loves you. And you're in a safe place where you can practice that. So every now and again, you might see somebody come out the front, if you're new to us, and they say something, and you're like, what? What are you on about? And sometimes that's a sense of God who comes and he speaks to individuals for us, for the church. And more. We need more of that. We need to know what God is saying to us as a church. We need to know what God is saying to us as individuals. Because otherwise, we'll just fumble our way all the way through this journey and wait for the return of Jesus. And he'll say to us, what did you do with my son? And what did you do with the gifts I gave you? And I, I don't want anybody in this room to go, I didn't know. Because we do know that we've been gifted in certain ways to be used for his church. So let's do it, whether you're serving tea or preaching. So I'm at the end. Proverbs 13, 2 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And this church, this Thessalonian church, Neil finished with this last week, this Thessalonian church that, that were desperate for the return of Jesus. They were told he was going to come. Can you imagine the anticipation? Looking around to see if the skies were going to open or if he was going to, you're going to hear the trumpet call. And they lived in that state all the time. And I would suggest that, as Neil said last week, you stay with the same attitude. Just the same attitude. Let's stand together. God has placed eternity in our hearts. That is amazing. He has placed eternity in your heart. And sometimes the ache we have is a, the Bible calls it a homesickness for his return. So I'm going to ask you just to put your arm, your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. Really simple. On the shoulder. Nowhere else. Just the shoulder. No big hugs. Just the shoulder. I could finish. Let's, let's finish with a holy kiss, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and I'm going to pray as Paul prayed. God, we pray, we come as, a, as fragile people to your throne. We just come with all our complexities, 
with all our desires, with all our hopes and dreams, with our pain and disappointment. And we come and we pray for strength for each other. And we pray, God, if we are failing in patience or being kind or not forgiving, all those things that Paul has asked us to be and to do. The Spirit of God, that you would come and that you would drench us, that you would enable us to be those people. Enable us to be those holy people that you've called us to be, God, and that you are that you are sanctifying, God, each of us, one degree at a time. You're, you're making us into yourself. And all these things, God, that Paul wrote were all characteristics of the good things about you, God, that you are patient, that you are kind, that you are faithful, that you are forgiving. You're all the opposite of what Paul asked this church to do. So God, make us those people. Cause us to have characteristics of yourself that other people would see love and grace and mercy being poured out. For those amongst other people where you're working and where you shop and where you live at home, where I am from Monday through to Saturday, may we be people of the truth, of the gospel of truth, to strengthen us, God, and forgive us for where we don't, where we just don't know how to live well. Forgive us and help us. Pray, God, you would raise up more people in this community, God, who would look out for us, who would be those that would hold us and, and, and help us limp back to you, God. And so, in your mercy, God, in your mercy, forgive us, sanctify us, and keep us holy till you come again. In Jesus' name. Amen.